Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast. The Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre unites over a thousand world-leading biologists, chemists, physicists, engineers, mathematicians, computer scientists, clinicians, nurses and allied healthcare professionals from across Cambridge and the UK to tackle cancer from every angle. Our mission is to end death and disease caused by cancer through research, treatment and education. We are detecting cancer at its earliest stage and are developing personalised treatments for every patient through facilitating new collaborations and driving the translation of new scientific discoveries into clinical applications to improve patient care. By working together across a range of different disciplines, our members are breaking down the barriers between the laboratory and the clinic, enabling patients to benefit from the very latest innovations in cancer science. Welcome and thank you for joining us for today's special episode of our podcast, where we've got three short talks coming up for you on getting involved in lung cancer clinical trials. So in the first talk today, you're going to be hearing from Hui Ki Yang, who is a consultant in medical oncology at Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust and senior research lead for lung cancer clinical trials within the Cambridge Cancer Trials Centre. And Huiki is going to be giving us an overview of some of the lung cancer clinical trials that are being conducted right now in Cambridge in the UK. You'll then be hearing from Elizabeth Blake, a clinical trials research nurse for lung cancers at Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. And she's going to be speaking to us about some of the clinical trials that she works on and how she supports patients going through them. In the third talk, Jacek Arbovich is then going to share his very personal experiences of being diagnosed with lung cancer in 2020 and how he has since been involved in the Canopy A clinical trial. Then finally, to wrap up, Katie Mills, a programme manager at the Cambridge Experimental Cancer Medicine Centre, is going to lead a question and answer session where our panellists will answer questions that were submitted by members of the public. So as always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer in a future podcast episode, or perhaps if you have ideas for topics that you would like us to discuss in a future series, please let us know by visiting our website at www.crukcambridgecentre.org.uk forward slash podcast. So with that, let's hand over to Huiki so that we can hear about lung cancer clinical trials in Cambridge. I'm a consultant clinical oncologist specialising in lung cancer at Addenbrooke's and Royal Patworth Hospital. I'm also part of the CRUK Cambridge Radiotherapy Network research team and today I'd like to give you an overview of some of the trials we have in our lung cancer research portfolio. So before I do that briefly, patients with lung cancer can present at different stages of disease. So some patients present with early stage disease whereby the cancer is confined within the chest some with um, locally advanced disease whereby the cancers um, moved to the lymph glands in the middle of the chest. And unfortunately, some of our patients present with metastatic disease where the cancer is more widespread in nature. 
So it's important that we determine spread of cancer at the very outset because this helps us in prognosticating each patient and also help us, us to determine the best treatment strategy for each individual. So I've got here some data on the um, survival of patients diagnosed with lung cancer here within the UK. And unfortunately, patients with lung cancer just tend not to do very well. This is especially the case for patients with metastatic disease, but this also applies to patients with locally advanced disease as compared to other tumor types. And this has been recognized and the CRUK has prioritized lung cancers as one of the cancer types that we need to focus our research efforts on in order for us to improve the survival and outcome for patients with this disease. So here in Cambridge and in Petworth, we have a number of clinical trials spanning across the different stages of disease. And um, what, I thought, what I thought I'll do today is to focus on the locally advanced group where radiotherapy is being used. So we've got three clinical trials in this space. We've got the Skyscraper O3 trial, the Concord study, as well as Hamlet-RT trial, which is our homegrown clinical trial. So locally advanced um, non-small cell lung cancer, it's a heterogeneous disease. And as a result of this, there are actually a number of different treatment modalities that we use. So we can use chemotherapy and radiotherapy simultaneously. At the same time, some of these patients go on to receive consolidation immunotherapy. Sometimes we use sequential chemotherapy followed by radiotherapy. And quite often we also use radiotherapy on its own. We sometimes, not very occasionally, use trimodality treatment whereby we deploy chemotherapy and radiotherapy first, followed by surgery. So there are a number of different factors that help us determine which strategy to go down. This includes clinical factors, um, such as the biology of the disease, the pdl one status, the extent of the cancer, the location of the cancer within the chest, and also things like the comorbidities and patient's fitness and patient choice also come into play. So for patients who are suitable for concurrent chemotherapy and radiotherapy, followed by consolidation immunotherapy, um, this is actually based off the Pacific trial. And the five-year update was presented just a few months ago, whereby they have shown that at the five-year mark, an additional 10% um, survival benefit was associated with the use of consolidation immunotherapy after chemoradiotherapy. So in other words, if immunotherapy um, is used following chemo and radiotherapy for, for non-small cell lung cancer, um, then there is an additional one out of 10 patients who remain alive at five years, which is fantastic. And because of the success rate um, and improvement of um, cure in this situation, and there is actually a lot of interest in further improving the rates of cure by trying to optimize um, immunotherapy in this situation. So um, the Skyscraper O3 trial is open and recruiting here in Cambridge, and it works off this premise. So um, what um, this trial involves in the investigational arm is the use of two different immunotherapy agents. So not just a pdl one blockade, but also an anti-tigit um, uh, immunotherapy agent to try to see if this strategy would help to improve um, the outcomes for patients in this group. So not all patients would be suitable for the skyscraper O3 approach. 
So for example, patients with um, sequential, so, so for patients undergoing sequential chemo or radiotherapy or patients undergoing radiotherapy alone will not be suitable to participate in Skyscraper 3. Um, however, these patients may be suitable to participate in a CONCORD study. So the CONCORD study is a UK-based study that is um, open and recruiting in five different um, centres here in the UK. And here in Cambridge, we are in the process of setting this up and we are um, looking into opening this trial imminently. So this trial involves the use of new agents that can work synergistically with radiotherapy hand in hand in order to improve the efficacy and effectiveness of radiotherapy that's delivered in this situation. So the CONCOT study is designed to be a platform study whereby they'll be um, investigating five different um, synergistic agents. And the way that this works is that radiotherapy causes cancer cell death by inflicting DNA damage. And these agents act upon the different parts of the DNA damage repair pathway. And what these agents do is they stop the cancer cells from repairing themselves and it stops them from recovering after they've been hit by radiotherapy. So uh, patients who are recruited into this trial will get randomized to receiving either the center of care, which is the radiotherapy on its own, or radiotherapy plus um, the agents. And depending on which trial arm they participate in, um, they receive a different agent. And the primary endpoint of the trial is to assess the safety profile of the addition of these agents in combination with radiotherapy and determine the best dose to use for future studies. So here in Cambridge, we will be participating in arm B of the trial, which involves the use of an ATM inhibitor. And we will be working um, alongside the early phase unit in running of this trial. Now this trial is also undergoing further developments and there is also potential scope later this year to introduce immunotherapy for some of the patients um, participating in this trial. And we hope to be able to recruit uh, many patients into this really important trial, which is one of the landmark studies in the radiotherapy field here in the UK. So I'd like to spend a few minutes to talk about the Hamlet RT trial. So um, some of you will recognize Dr. Raj Jenner, who's one of my colleagues. He is one of the clinical oncologists and he's the chief investigator of this trial. So the HEMA-RT trial aims at um, utilizing machine learning and artificial intelligence um, in the analysis of radiotherapy dosimetry data plus images taken during the course of radiotherapy in order to predict um, the rates of radiotherapy toxicity and side effects of treatment. So this will be correlated against patients reported um, outcome measures. And this trial will be open to um, different tumor types, including prostate, head and neck, lung cancers, as well as brain tumors. And here in Cambridge, it has been running for a couple of years now in the um, prostate and head and neck group. And it is um, looking into as we speak, extending um, its recruitment to other centres here within the UK. Now, we have developed um, on the back of the Hamlet RT trial, a sub-study 
uh, that will be eligible for patients with head and neck and lung cancers. So and the premise of this um, study is that radiotherapy is aimed at um, killing all cancer cells. But we do know that some cancer cells get left behind unkilled, and this can lead to recurrence of cancers. Also, sometimes um, instead of the cancer cells um, getting killed, they go into a dormant state whereby um, they stop replicating themselves um, and, and become what's known as senescent cells. So these cells, although they stop replicating, they are still metabolically very active and excrete lots of different factors. So these factors can actually act as a double-edged sword. So although some of these factors are associated with wound healing and tissue regeneration, there is actually increasing evidence to show that these factors can actually cause um, cancer cells to replicate even further and cause chronic scarring. So within the Hamlet-RT trans trial, uh, we will be collecting blood samples from these patients and we will be analysing biomarkers within the blood samples to see if we can identify um, signals from either cancer cells that are left behind or senescent cells um, after treatment in order to try and predict the risk of early cancer recurrence. So this will allow us to be able to identify patients at higher risk of cancer recurrence, and we will be able to um, focus our um, efforts into developing new therapies with patients at, at higher risk. So this trial is um, also in setup at, 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 as we speak, and we hope to be able to open this trial to, uh, or this sub-study um, for recruitment in the next couple of months. So for lung cancer, um, within lung cancer, uh, if patients are undergoing definitive radiotherapy, they will be eligible to participate in the sub-study. And as I've mentioned, we'll be looking at collecting blood samples, but not just blood samples from the veins, we'll also be um, collecting blood samples um, from um, think pricks. So pretty much like um, blood sugar level monitoring for patients with diabetes. And um, from these blood samples, we'll be looking at the senescence and factors, so the proteins within this blood, and also at the, um, we'll also be extracting the uh, circulating tumor DNA and using a combination of these information, we hope to be able to um, stratify patients into the various risk and strategies in terms of cancer recurrence. So that was a whistle stop tour of some of the clinical trials that we're running here in Cambridge and Patworth. So I thought I'll end the trial by just emphasizing about the um, many people that's involved in um, setting up and running of clinical trials. And it's effectively a mega team effort. Uh, and we know how COVID has affected clinical trial recruitment and set up in the last couple of years, but with and the support of everyone in the community, as well as patients um, who have rallied together, we have managed to get back onto um, you know, building up our trial portfolio and also um, patient um, recruitment and set up. Um, I would like to thank you for your attention and I hope that it's been useful for you to learn about some of our clinical trials running here in Cambridge. Good afternoon, my name is Lizzie Blake and I'm a clinical trials nurse on the Cambridge Cancer Trials Centre at Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge. 
I'm going to talk to you today about the types of clinical trials I work on um, and the experience I have of supporting patients through clinical trials. So I work in the aerodigestive team and in our team we cover clinical trials for patients um, with thoracic cancers, upper GI cancers such as stomach and esophageal cancers and colorectal cancers. I work predominantly with patients with thoracic cancers such as lung cancers and mesotheliomas and I work with the um, consultants, registrars, clinical nurse specialists and other key members of the multidisciplinary team. So the types of clinical trials that I work on are mainly phase two to phase three studies. These studies are testing medications which are deemed to be safe in humans. So they've already been tested in earlier phase trials, um, but we're testing medications um, that are already licensed for use, possibly for other types of cancers um, or for other medical disorders. And we're usually testing these medications alongside a standard of care, already proven treatment for lung cancers. The types of clinical trials we have open are translational or non-interventional, and these may be data gathering research studies. So they may involve a patient having a blood test, um, which is testing a specific genetic marker, um, or it may be taking a specimen of a previous lung biopsy for a patient. And um, these trials um, are generally run by scientists and are gathering data for future treatments. Um, and they don't tend to benefit patients in the here and now. The other types of clinical trials I work on are called interventional studies, and they may be testing um, a, what, I, what I said before, the licensed medication for uh, an, another, in an, another cancer um, versus the standard of care um, option. So um, my experience of recruiting patients to clinical trials, generally we will look at the um, the clinical trials that are open for recruitment and we will go through our patient list um, methodically and check um, to see if there's any patients we think might be eligible for um, the clinical trials we have open. We also may get referrals from other centres around the region as we are the um, sort of cancer hub in East Anglia. So we'll run through um, some eligibility criteria for this clinical trials and we'll see if we think the patient may be um, eligible to take part. And then we'll bring the patients into clinic or we'll give them a phone call and we'll see if they um, may be interested. We'll go through all the details, um, what's involved in taking part, and we'll give them some written information which sets out in detail any additional assessments that may be required, the side effects of the trial um, and lots of other information. The patient will then be given plenty of time to think about whether or not the trial is right for them. And this can be quite a difficult process for some people. So some people might be very willing to take part and find um, research very exciting and they're very keen to sign up. And we make sure these patients really do understand exactly what's involved of them um, and any possible side effects and additional visits in, in, that may be incurred. Other patients are more cautious and want to get lots and lots of information. So we may bring them in for a couple of consultations and some extra phone calls just to really make sure that they feel that they're informed, they've made the right decision. Um, some people, patients may feel that it's just not the right time for them uh, and they want to just go ahead with standard of care and get moving with the treatment, um, whilst others will want to consider the clinical trials. 
So we'll support them during that decision making. And that's a very rewarding um, part of the process. If patients decide they do want to consent, um, they'll be brought back into clinic um, for um, a written consent visit. And then once they've signed consent with the doctor, um, they will then start the screening process of the clinical trial. So in the screening, um, they may have to come in for an additional CT scan, some blood tests, some checks on their heart or hearing or eyes, um, whatever is stipulated in the protocol of that given clinical trial. Once we have all the results and um, we feel the patient is fit enough to go and they're still willing to take part, we will um, bring them in for a final visit where they'll be um, told which treatment they'll be going on to. It's important that patients are informed at every step of the way that they're um, entitled to um, withdraw from the clinical trial at any moment. It may be at the beginning, it may be during treatment that they decide they just can't tolerate side effects or they don't wish to participate anymore. It's their legal right to withdraw at any time. They don't need to give us a reason why, and we must always respect um, their um, decision to withdraw from the trials. So it's really, really important patients understand that at the beginning. And then once patients do start on treatment, um, they um, will go and have their treatment in our oncology day unit, uh, where there may be an infusion involved and um, some additional um, blood tests or observations, or they may go on to our clinical trials um, research infusion unit. Um, we generally will go down and support the patient during their first infusions and support the nurses giving them to make sure that all the relevant assessments are done and the patient's happy um, to carry on and um, keep participating in the trial. And then once they go home, as most of our, the patients we have in clinical trials are um, outpatient and just coming for one day, um, they'll go home and we'll give them follow-up telephone calls, check how they're doing, check any side effects, check they're still happy to participate. And they'll be brought in at various time points after that um, for safety checks. And then um, once the cycle of their treatment is completed, they'll be brought back into clinic for a, a physical review um, with the doctor and the nurses um, and, and then be um, given a go ahead for the next cycle of treatment. At every step of the way, they're well supported. We make sure that um, they know how to call us in case of emergency um, and they um, have our contact details and the details of our acute oncology service just in case it's out of, they have to report any out of um, hours difficulties. So that's sort of um, roughly how we support patients during treatments. And then I thought I would discuss with you a little bit about how some of the clinical trials are designed. So some of our studies are what we call blinded. So these studies may be testing a medication versus a placebo medication. And they'll generally also include a standard care chemo option on both arms. And this is to make sure that they're ethical and that patients that need treatment aren't just having no treatment at all. Um, so with these blinded studies, more often than not, we also don't know which, um, whether the patient is having placebo or not. In case there's an emergency at which, at which point they can be, what we call unblinded and the patient or the doctor would understand which treatment they've been on. The other types of treatments that, um, the other types of trials that we recruit patients onto 
are randomized. So they may be randomized by computer um, to one um, arm of treatment versus another arm of treatment. These are all ethically um, designed trials. We make sure that we test, that we check them. Here at Adam Brooks, we have an ethics committee to make sure that all the trials that we are um, opening to patients, we think are ethic, ethical and they provide a benefit to our patients. This is a very vigorous process. Um, so it's important to understand that um, the ethics of these um, treatments have always been considered before patients um, are offered them. I hope you found that interesting today. And if you have any um, further questions, um, I'm sure that our team would be happy to answer them during the Q&A session. Many thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Yataka Bobic and I was diagnosed in March 2020 with non-small cell lung cancer driven by an ALK positive genetic mutation. It was a complete shock and surprise as well as asymptomatic and it was quite discovered by accident. Don't think anything prepares you for that moment or the challenge of telling your family and friends. Fortunately for me it was operable and the following month at the height of the first Covid wave had a lobectomy. Then began four rounds of adjuvant chemotherapy and I was lucky not to lose my hair. Chemo is tough whichever way you look at it and not having been sick prior to the chemo it was a particular challenge and the fatigue was a real struggle. I have to say the care I received throughout was absolutely wonderful. While I was having chemo I joined the Facebook group for my particular cancer and for me it was a huge support understanding what others are going through and uh, the approaches they're taking. Probably after my third round of chemo my oncologist approached me about joining a clinical trial after the chemo was completed. At that point my initial reaction was probably no because of the fatigue and the fact that I'd been visiting the hospital for almost 12 months. It's almost the last thing you want to do uh, but I took the information home with me anyway. Over the next few weeks I reflected on the fact that yes I'd been really lucky. And it wasn't just luck, it was the skill of the doctors, the nurses and the drugs and the treatments that they could provide that got me to that place. Those drugs and treatments have only come about because someone has stepped forward to undertake trials. So I did go back and read the trial, having read the trial information, I had lots of questions uh, to my oncologists and nurses, uh, which they answered in full. I was really reassured that whatever decision I made was okay uh, and that I could start with the trial and withdraw at any point if, it, if I changed my mind. I felt totally in control. Uh, my trial was double blind, so I don't know whether I had the uh, treatment or the placebo. Uh, I went in every three weeks to have a, a treatment and the a clinic where they uh, took bloods, screened me, uh, measured my blood pressure, uh, ECG. Uh, it was felt I was getting really closely monitored and uh, the care I got, again, is outstanding. I think when I reflect on the trial, I can only see real positives for me. 
that real close care and attention I received for, throughout was a huge comfort, not just to me, but to my family. And uh, probably think of your family more so than yourself at some times like that. The regular attendance at clinic and the chance to have a closer relationship with my oncologist and the nurses has meant that as I've gone along the journey, uh, been able to think a little bit more about what's going on and ask the questions I hadn't had chance to ask before. Uh, and having that line of communication to people I now know has been really reassuring. Cancer really changes your life and the life of your loved ones. For me, I appreciate the little things so much more. After this talk, I'm off to collect my grandson from school. And those, it's those little things in life that really we live for. And to see him come out the door with a big smile on his face and get a hug. For me, I want to see every patient receive the best possible care with and new drugs and treatments are part of that. Everyone should really have that chance to enjoy the little things going forward. Obviously, I can't make a decision for you and it's got to be right for you and your loved ones. But all I would say is that for me, the clinical trial that I undertook was hugely positive for both me, my family and hopefully for those who are diagnosed in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for all those very interesting talks. Um, we've had a couple of questions come in and we have got a few minutes to answer them. So, um, yeah, so we've had a question come through for you. Um, what were the most important considerations for you before agreeing to join the trial? Oh, good question. Uh, so I think uh, for me, having read the information and the support I would get, I felt I was almost, it was almost the key element was I felt I was getting great support and longer term support and that ability to engage with my oncologist and uh, trial nurses and have that sort of reassurance that I was getting more closely monitored than even I was going to through normal channels really. So I think that really sort of reassured me and sort of made the big decision. And then uh, from my from my family perspective, my wife sort of uh, uh, wanted to take great care of me, and she was she's naturally an anxious person, uh, yeah. and and that reassurance of knowing that I was going in on a regular basis, they were checking my bloods, they were sort of uh, really keeping a close eye on me, was sort of a, a big factor. So uh, so those were probably the two uh, most important for me. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and Huishi, we've had um, a question from a, someone asking if they were eligible for multiple different treatments and trials, how was it decided which one they should have? Yeah, so what we tend to do is to discuss with individuals about what they're interested in. Uh, we have got some trials which uh, will overlap, actually, in terms of eligibility criteria. And we have had some patients who actually participate in multiple trials. So whatever that's open, we will, we will discuss. And so would they be able to take part in trials, did you say, at, at the same time? Or would mm. that be? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I, I can certainly think of, you know, a couple of trials, for example, the ICI genetics trial and the MITRE trial, and quite a number of patients do participate in both, actually. 
Thank you. And what proportion of lung cancer patients are eligible to take part in trials and what proportion actually decide to, to take up the offer to take part in the trial? Is that quite a hard question to <laughs> Yeah, I, I think so, you know, because this is, this is effectively made up off the cuff. I mean, I would like to say that, you know, we've got a, a, a huge proportion of patients who actually enrol in trials, but yeah. realistically speaking at the moment, because the um, trial recruitment rates are waxes and wanes across the year, um, and um, I think at the moment, if I'm completely honest, the uh, recruitment rates, I think, I think we can do better than that. I think we can actually improve the um, proportion of patients who actually take part um, in, in trials. We do find that um, some of our patients do need some time to consider as to whether is it worth participating in the trial or not, because, you know, as you've mentioned earlier, um, just like it's, it's, it is a bit of a commitment, but, you know, you do get looked after in terms of the investigations and all. So, so I, I would say that, you know, I, I think it's something that we can potentially improve upon, um, especially now that, you know, with the, with the pandemic being a bit more stable, yeah. though in the next couple of months, it might be difficult to tell, but, you know, things are picking up, certainly. Thank you. I think we've just got time for maybe one more question. Um, this is to you, Axek, again. Um, how did you present joining the clinical trial to your family? And did they have any concerns? I know you mentioned that, that your wife is quite an anxious person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, my wife read the trial documents as well. So uh, so she was fully informed and sort of, uh, Certainly, my uh, brothers and sisters were also interested, so I, I was quite happy to share that information with them and gather their questions as well to sort of uh, put back. So, uh, I think that gave them the reassurance that uh, uh, you were in the right hands, and uh, anything anything that could be looked after, and your care was almost like you were getting a care plus package, really. Uh, so they felt more reassured that I was going on it. I mean, uh, I think I. I'm generally a scientist anyway, so uh, I, uh, I'm sort of quite interested in sort of new things anyway. So, uh, so for me, it wasn't a tricky decision, but I was conscious that for them, it was sort of, uh, some of them are non-scientists, sort of, uh, it could be quite a scary place. So giving them the sort of information that I was given, uh, gave them the chance to sort of ask the questions as well. So uh, uh, I think that as long as they were fully informed and uh, they were sort of uh, much more comfortable uh, with it. So uh uh, but how you do that, I think it, it was much easier than telling them I had cancer <laughs> in the first place. So uh, I think that once the, you've gone through that uh, difficult process of engaging and then sort of going, well, I'm going to do a clinical trial, they were sort of, uh, uh, they felt, given that the care I'd had already, sorry, it's a long winded question, answer, but uh, uh, they were much more confident in that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you both so much for being here for the live question and answer session. Thank you.